Well, hi, friends. Nice to see you. What a day, what a day. Uh, as you all know, we like to bring professionals on this program. We're very professional. Profesh, if you will. We're incredibly profesh. Uh, we've got lots of stuff to get to. I want to get to some truth-telling. I want to get to Ozempic. we got some uh, some media stuff to talk about, the Google tax bill to talk about. We've got rallies to talk about, the pro-Israel rally that happened the other day. we got CBC cuts to talk about. So let's just get to it. Let's not waste any time. As my dad says, stop dilly-dallying, son. Please welcome to the program the truth wolverine charles adler ladies and gentlemen <laughs> by the way I, I, we're gonna have to i tell you we're gonna have to call this uh the dean yeah. blundell show and the charles adler show joint production because chuck and dean, I, dean well, and I, just, chuck? I was gonna book i was gonna book exactly the same two guests that you've got yeah okay and i was gonna book myself as well so might as well not, not waste not waste time just we'll just be efficient and <laughs> we'll make this a joint presentation Yes, it is. It's a joint presentation of the Charles Adler part podcast. Podcast is a joint presentation yeah. of the Dean Blundell show. We and and if we're really nice to our guest, yeah. if we're really yeah. nice to the uh, the law prof at, at yeah. University of Ottawa, if we're real kind to this gentleman, we might even be able to get it on the Law Bites podcast. Please welcome the host of that, uh, Mr. Uh, Michael Geist, ladies and gentlemen. Doctor. Doctor it's Doctor Geist to you, Dean. Yeah. Yeah, we don't see this is this is folks this is the definition of secure men sure and adlers secure men don't need to be the smartest guys in the room okay no nope. secure men invite people like dr geist on and it's totally okay with us if yeah. his iq towers above ours not yeah. a problem no. do you like that do you like I, that intro uh yes yeah, it's almost like my mom spoke to you before yeah. before we went on but uh, anyway nice to be here for sure <laughs> yeah it's good to have you here and listen to charles's point uh, me not being the smartest guy on a podcast happens every time I podcast, <laughs> just so you know. So, and that's why I bring people like you around. It's like, hey, can I springboard off your genius and IQ just for like a half hour? That'd be great. Uh, but Michael, great to see you, Doctor Geist. Of course, uh, Law Bites is the name of your podcast. Uh, you did a great podcast with uh, one of our properties, actually, the 905ers, uh, where you were talking about uh, some things that we want to get to. And we've got a full slate with you today. Uh, we're going to talk about the Google Canada tax. Uh, we're going to talk about Bill C-18. We're going to talk a little bit about um, uh, the CBSC, CRTC, so to speak, some hearings that you're fresh off of today, which will give us some information, news and information about regulations and, and stuff that everybody needs to be aware of because the media's ecosystem is the mess that we all know it is. Uh, but but uh, fresh off of uh, the pro-Israel rally yesterday, and I know uh, you're very proud and it, to to actually go there and and to support Israel. And I know Chuck as well has been um, really entering some solid points and talking about this from a perspective of responsibility. Um, but it, it, you step out when you get into that stuff, and and it's been really amazing watching you speak your heart and your truth. So, what was it like yesterday? You know, it was a I thought it was a great event. Um, it was cold. It's Canada in December with a lot of snow, but you know there was a lot of enthusiasm. We had there were a lot of people who came from from all over, a lot from Toronto and Montreal certainly, and a lot from my own community now here in Ottawa. But you know to hear to hear a Holocaust survivor, to hear families uh, who still have hostages waiting for them to be released, to hear politicians from across the aisle call out some of the anti-Semitism that we've seen in Canada in recent weeks, you know, I think left a lot of people feeling more supported during what has been, uh, there's no denying it, a really difficult time. Uh, yeah, I certainly didn't expect to find myself over the last uh, almost two months now, uh, spending a lot of time on my social media and elsewhere, uh, including on my own campus, becoming engaged in ensuring that students feel safe, that the broader community feels safe, and to calling out anti-Semitism where I see it, but I think it's absolutely essential that we do that. My my grandparents survived the, the Holocaust. Um, on one side, actually, my, my grandfather lost his wife and two children and, and remarried afterwards. Um, this is very real. And I think like a lot of people, never in a million years would have imagined that we'd be seeing and experiencing some of the same kinds of things in, in Canada. And I'm not saying that this is Nazi Germany in the 30s, but to see the, the the willingness of some people to, I think, openly engage in anti-Semitism with no fear of repercussions, with doing it, in a sense, almost with pride, 
uh, is is pretty scary. And, and I think it, it requires more than just the Jewish community to speak out. It requires uh, all Canadians, I think, to speak out against this kind of hate. Michael, let me let me come in here for a second. Uh, in terms of background, I, I share a background with yours, and I think people who uh, watch this show and watch watch my show, uh, they're they're well aware of it. So I don't want to I don't want to recap uh, what it's like being a um, a son of, of Holocaust survivors. It is uh, difficult, and I'm positive that it makes October seventh even more difficult for for people like like you and me. Here's my problem as a media professional, and you're someone who studies media from all uh, aspects of the media ecosystem and from both sides of the lens. I think you know and I know that when it comes to public relations and getting the message out, people tend to believe only what they see. Very few people actually saw what happened on October 7th. They've heard about it. A select few have actually seen the the, the extremely difficult visuals of the, the murders, the tortures, uh, the rapes. All right. People do see the bombing in Gaza naturally. That gives Hamas what I would crudely call a public relations victory. That's my perspective. What's yours? Well, listen, there's no denying that, that what we've seen take place in Gaza is terrible. I mean, it's it's awful to see the, the human suffering and the toll that, that has taken place. Uh, I think that the blame for that is properly laid at, at Hamas. Uh, for engaging in human shields, for in, for putting itself directly within pop within human populations, civilian populations, and you're right that many haven't seen the the details of what took place on the seventh. But you know, I, I I think that with the kinds of atrocities that there's ample evidence for, and there is enough there that someone who, if you want to see it, it's it's out there. Um, there's no denying that this took place, and, and I have to say that it is deeply troubling in the sense that you know, I think for almost any country that would have experienced something similar, the the willingness of the world to stand behind that country, its right of self-defense, it, it's its mourning and trauma that it, 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 it not just experienced, but continues to experience. I mean, I can't imagine a Canada or a Britain or a France or a U.S. with well over 100 hostages now there for a couple of months. And to see even the abuse that that the hostages who have been released sustain and somehow not see this as just a top priority worthy of, of action and recognition of the need to act. But then even worse in this country, for so many, it would seem to create an equivalence between not just Hamas and Israel, which I think is such a complete false equivalence, but even more between anyone who's Jewish and what takes place. And then uh, leading to the shootings at schools and the fire bombings that we've seen at schools and the targeting of community centers and and kind of the the reenactment almost of some of the very worst uh, that the Jewish community has experienced. I think they, the humans have experienced uh, in recent memory. And to see some of this recur again and again and again now in a place like Canada, much less in many other places, truly unthinkable. And And I don't think you should have to see uh, some of the atrocities to recognize that that's just fundamentally wrong. Dr. Geist, you're a professor. I don't have to be a, a conservative uh, talking point regurgitator to declare that most professors are center or center left on most campuses in North America, including the campus that, that you thrive on. How do you feel about professors who are generally on the left? Some of them one might call social justice warriors, some of them one might call feminists, some of them one might call unionists, but they are chartered members of the left of center in politics. What do you make of these people who ordinarily are very much opposed to rape as a weapon of war, but when it comes to rape victims who are Jewish, in this case, post-October 7th, silence? What, what, what's that about? Well, listen, I consider myself center left, and that's reflective of, of where I've typically been on many issues. And I have to say that you know, I've certainly have many colleagues that have, have been there to support. So it, it isn't silence. But uh, if we look across campuses, across in this country and in a number of other countries, there is this, I think, pervasive sense of betrayal for many that, you know, that, that we were there and that the community came together, whether it was on Black Lives Matter or on some of the misogyny that we've seen or some of the Indigenous-related issues coming out of residential schools. All, 
all terrible things, all in which there was a need for people to speak out with a single voice. And for some reason, Jewish victims now, um, with the rapes that you're talking about, with the terrible atrocities, and too many remain silent. And it is hard. It's hard to get past that. It's it, you know, it is. It's hard. I think for a lot of people who felt that that we were as a community willing to stand up for what was right across the spectrum. And it turns out not always. Mm. What's your message? And Dina, I'll let you get back yeah, in yeah, in just a, a second. Um, it's technically it's your show, <laughs> not to mention your network, but I, no, I no, I'm to, enjoying to this conversation because I, did, I, I just, want, I yeah. want to know, uh, like okay. I, I, you know, these, these are the educations I think that a lot of people need. So there's so no, I mean, I, happy to get out of the way you guys have history and experience and and education in this space i do not so please just want one i just want one question to to button down this aspect of our conversation with dr geist that we're moving on to to many other topics but dr geist um it means a lot to you to be a professor it means a lot to you to be a progressive center-left professor What's your direct message to center-left professors? It doesn't matter to me whether they're on the Ottawa campus that you're on or any campus anywhere in the world. What's, what we're talking about is ubiquitous, tragically and disgustingly ubiquitous. But that's me talking. I'm not a professor. You are. You've got all the credentials. I want to hear your message to your fellow academics. Well, I think I think you've uh, frankly articulated it well. It's it's that when we talked about Me Too, when we talked about Black Lives Matter, when we talked about residential schools, we stood up and ensured that we spoke out in unison against that. And you know the the notion that believe all women except maybe Jewish women, and then we need more evidence to see something like, not just on campus, to see organizations like UN Women take almost two months before it's willing to put out a statement. Uh, it is, it, it, I, I mean, I'm, I'm almost speechless here just at, at, at how much it shakes, to, shakes, I think, many of us to the very core to know that, I think, listen, I, I always knew that being Jewish meant you were a minority. I didn't always feel like a minority. Oftentimes I felt in a community fully accepted. The last eight weeks has made it very clear that we are very much a minority. And the, the kind of warnings and stories that were tough, difficult to tease out of my grandparents, um, they've been made more real in the last two months than in some ways they were for, for many, many years. Let me, let me ask you a quick question, uh, just to kind of put a, a, a bow on it. I I was under the assumption that we were past anti-Semitism for the past 75 to 80 years. Like I just was, you know, we as a country, uh, the the Western world got the, their 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 stuff together with the rest of the world to defeat Nazism, to defeat uh, the, the Third Reich, to go after people who were exterminating Jews. And I had understood, you know, that that was a good thing. We're past it. Do you contribute the rise in anti-Semitism, active anti-Semitism, where schools are being shot at, you know, people are being, yeah, the graffiti, people are being chastised in public. There was a professor at a university in Canada who was caught on film, you know, making some incredibly anti-Semitic remarks at a rally where he went inside and he decided to spout some anti-Semitism. But I was under the impression that we were past that. We had understood that what had happened was a, was a, an international travesty for for the world's history to reflect on do you think that it is lied in wait or this anti-semitic stuff or do you think that that this has been ginned up for the people who have lied in wait and and what do you attribute it to is it messaging is it media is it irresponsibility is it social media like what do you attribute the fervor of what i thought were smart people who understood world history what do you attribute today's climate to yeah. I, well, I mean, I hope it can be all of the above. And I don't know that I've got a great answer, but uh, but I think you've highlighted at least some of the causes for what we've seen. I think for a certain generation, you know, they, they live on places like TikTok, which, um, you know, in that demographic, I think, sees a lot of both this kind of anti-Semitic content and for whom I think the what occurred during the Holocaust and the long history of, of what Jews have often faced um, just doesn't seem to resonate that, you know, that seems like something of the, uh, in the past. I mean, quite frankly, I think their vision of what Israel even represents and who is in Israel is, is at odds with the realities of that country, but particularly if we stick just to the Jewish community. 
Uh, I think many just don't have any sort of appreciation for uh, for that kind of lived history and for how any number of events resonate and are viewed by many in the Jewish community in ways that some might not even appreciate. So I, I by no means would, would say that that all of this is pure anti-Semitism. I think much of it, frankly, is ignorance. I think sometimes people will do things, um, let's say, to Jewish storefronts, and they might not know about Kristallnacht, and they have simply no awareness of of how history feels like it's rhyming here. Um, and that certainly many in the Jewish community see that and it creates palpable fear of this happening yet again. And when there is silence, still too much silence, especially yeah. from community leaders, from politicians, from, as we're saying, um, many in the academy, many of the NGOs who uh, are been outspoken on so many issues and for whatever reason are, are reluctant to do so here, um, it's it's scary, to be honest. Mm. Do you think the academics who vandalized Indigo because it's owned by a Jewish woman, do you think those academics in the Toronto area who vandalized Indigo who are now charged, it's a criminal act, do you think they were unaware, Michael, unaware of Kristallnacht? No, I would. I think they probably weren't, but uh, at least I would hope not. As someone in those in that kind of position would know some of the history. I'm not saying that everyone does. We had a, there was an event there. I think I recall it a, a Starbucks in Toronto from someone perhaps doesn't know some of that stuff. Uh, so no, you're right. Um, there may be some that that recognize that there is that, but still believe for whatever reason their their cause is just. And in that sense, the the lack of compassion for the Jewish community, for the effects of, the, of of what their actions would have on the community is is all the more difficult to understand and uh, in some ways makes it even more deeply troubling. But isn't it true that while we can talk about anti-Semitism, we can talk about the tar target, but the Jewish woman owns the bookstore. We can put all that aside and, 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 and just broaden this right out. When people are vandalizing a store, in, like in that case, what they're engaging in is fascism, Dr. Geist. They can call themselves progressives. They can say that they support the resistance in Palestine and all the rest of it. They're engaging in fascist behavior, are they not? I think if you, I'm glad to see that we've seen some arrests for those that break the law. But, you know, I think there's just I, I you know, I, 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 I welcome people to express their political views. I hope they're informed political views, and oftentimes I, I don't feel like they are. But I think that a lot of what we've seen, particularly on campuses and on some city streets, has clearly crossed the line. As always, the Dean Blundell Show is brought to you by our friends at factcheck.io. Factcheck.io, do you believe? The good people at FactCheck are a quorum of software professionals, psychological professionals, journalists, that have been very busy building some software so that you can fact check anything that you read. It doesn't matter if it's got a URL, you'll be able to fact check it. Alternative sources, origins, whether or not it was an organic or inorganic campaign, whether or not you can trust the people that are putting out the information and alternative sources. And there's going to be a weapon button too, where you can turn that information around and put it back out there accurately to combat disinformation. The good people at factcheck.io are right now testing their beta version of their free program. Yes, it will be free for anybody who wants to use it. They want to battle disinformation because it is a problem. Go to factcheck.io today. F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K.io. F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K.io. The world's most robust fact-checking disinformation software for news, social media, video, print, anything spoken word. These people are on the tip. And they use some of the finest software technology to be able to give you the advantage when it comes to getting agency back in your life, when it comes to information that you read. Go to factcheck.io today for more information. Sign up for the beta test, F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K.io. The Dean Blundell Show is brought to you by factcheck.io. Factcheck.io, makers of the world's most comprehensive fact-checking software, that have been very busy building some software so that you can fact check anything that you read. It doesn't matter if it's got a URL, you'll be able to fact check it. Alternative sources, origins, whether or not it was an organic or inorganic campaign, whether or not you can trust the people that are putting out the information so that you can give yourself agency over information in the age of disinformation. Again, 
want to beta test their product, they're going to launch it in the next month or two. Go to factcheck.io today. F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K.io. Back to the show. Well, it's going to be, uh, and I'll promise to move on here, but it's going to be very, very difficult for some of these social justice progressives to make the case against whichever target they're going after the next time. Because once you've worn the black gloves of fascism in the minds of many people who know precisely what you've done and precisely know what stand you've taken, it's very difficult for them to ever look at you the same way again. I, I, I think that there are many in the Jewish community right now who feel very much like that, who feel as if that something has changed post-October 7th and um, it has revealed things that we didn't think existed, didn't think existed. And this will go on far longer than even the events that are taking place in Gaza right now. And I think that's the part that, that, that makes people upset, right? It's the part that makes me upset. It's like, yeah, I thought we put this to bed. Like I, I you know, I, I thought we had an understanding that that this was not the way that we are to treat anybody, including people who were nearly exterminated, uh, you know, for several years back in the 30s and 40s. Uh, something that we sacrificed a lot of our forefathers over. Right. I thought I thought I just understood that 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 was a gimme. But um, thank you for your input, Chuck. Thank you for your input, Dr. Geist. It's uh it's always good to get your perspective on things that 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 you you feel strongly about enough to be able to step out of what what is your lane, uh, which is the stuff that we're also here to talk about too, right? Which is the not just the Google tax C eleven. We you also just came back from a, a CBSC hearing on C eleven. Where do you want to start? Because I want to get to the deal with Google and the government where Meta's lying. I also want to talk about the CBSC. Uh, hearing that you were just at as well, and we'll get some truth telling with Chuck after. But where do you want to start? CBC, CRTC. You want to go there first, or do you want to okay. do Google? You tell me. Uh, sure, we can do CRTC quick as long as we stick with that acronym because I think it's CR, it's CRTC to be clear. Yes, um, I've had issues with CBS. This will be a whole, lot, be a whole <laughs> lot easier than the previous conversation, Michael. I, I assure you, a whole lot easier. Yeah, I've got I've got CBSC PTSD. Just so yeah, you know. it sounds yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got that. Uh, so we can we can quickly do CRTC and then we can get into the Google yeah, deal please. on C eighteen because in some ways there there is a, a connection because both of these come out of the government's internet regulation strategy. Uh, yeah. The first Bill C-11, the second C-18. So the 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 CRTC appearance that I had earlier this morning, and, and actually it's worth, note, well, it's worth noting, but I should note that this was literally my first time appearing before the CRTC. I've appeared dozens and dozens of times before House of Commons and Senate committees, but never before the CRTC. And while I'm actively engaged on some of the policies that they're involved with, um, I often felt that there were other groups that were well suited to to bring forward some of the perspectives that might I might otherwise bring. But I have to say, in the aftermath of Bill C eleven passing, and for your listeners that may have uh, may have forgotten, uh, I might be forgiven for having some PTSD for all the fights on Bill C eleven, which was the online streaming bill, the bill that we spent a lot of time talking about yeah. with respect to re- the re- potential regulation of user content. So that bill, of course, has now been passed and. You know, the government punted on a pretty wide range of issues. Frankly, they punted on almost all the details. And they basically said, you know, you figure all these things out, CRTC. And so this is the first of what will be a series of either different hearings or at least consultations to try to figure these things out. And this very first one, or at least the first one that involves a hearing, just starts with the question of which streaming services are being scoped into this rule. And secondly, should the CRTC establish just on almost an emergency interim basis, some kind of mandated payments from these companies that can then be used to support film and TV production, or it would appear based on some of the submissions news. So there is a real link to um, Bill C-18 and some some of the concerns around the news sector. I came out to sort of say, listen, I get that those are some of the objectives and policy goals of the Broadcasting Act that the government has also articulated in its policy direction. But also in those objectives, also in those policies, is the need to ensure that uh, consumer considerations, both in terms of price and choice, are put at the forefront, that competition is allowed to thrive to the maximum extent possible. Making the cases I did today that if you don't have consumers, you don't have a broadcasting system. I mean, there has to be somebody at the other end. It's not Mm -hmm. just about funding stuff to be made. 
It's about ensuring that the services that people have are affordable to ensure that that there are as, as wide a range of choices possible. Many of the streamers that we find out there today are a bit more niche. They serve different communities in Canada that otherwise weren't being uh, well served by our conventional broadcast system. And I have to say, I, I'm very I, I'm grateful for the opportunity to appear before the CRTC. I would say that that was a message that was at a minimum not well received by all. Um, what like the competition? Like you, you seem to think that that to have a healthy streaming environment and a healthy online environment that uh, the government needs to allow for healthy competition and and uh, and price setting, and that wasn't well received. Well, that was yes, that was seen as well. Sure, of course, we're concerned with competition and consumers, but don't you know the real goal here is kind of the cultural sovereignty goals, and those are also there, and and. I guess part of my point was, yeah, sure, they're there. I think there are a number of ways to try to achieve those objectives. Not all of them necessarily involve uh, requiring Netflix or Disney to cut a check to Bell to help fund its news sector. Uh, I don't quite understand why that would be seen as, as frankly, an appropriate way to go yeah. at all. And as I was told that, you know, listen, there are lots of sectors within broadcast that are struggling Part of my response was, well, I, I'm not convinced that it's the CRTC's role to necessarily solve everybody's economic problems by engaging in cross-industry subsidies requiring one group that's doing well to pay another. Uh, I think it is the requirement or it should be the requirement of the government to ensure that these companies pay their fair share of tax. And mm -hmm. if they're not doing that, we ought to tax them. And if we want to use some of those tax revenues to support film and TV broadcast or news or whatever it happens to be, then sure. But the idea that we're going to upend the system and risk, at least I tried to make the case, risk either services exiting the market, cutting back on what they invest in the market, or raising prices where it's consumers that ultimately pay the bill for all of this, were, I thought, real risks. And as I say, I got more pushback, I think, than most witnesses over the last few weeks have gotten on some of that. And in fact, in the, the witness that appeared immediately after me, for a streamer called Tubi, which offers their stuff, movies. Yeah, T-U-B-I. Tubi. T-U-B-I, yeah. Uh, so they it offer Tubi. it up. Okay. I, I think they go by Tubi. I think they go by Tubi, but <laughs> Tubi. I call it Tubi. Tubi. I'm a little I've been fighting with Tubi all my life, and that's why. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think they're just, I think they're happy if you call them anything right now, because they know that not a lot of people necessarily know who they are. Um, but but they they raised the concern. They said, listen, we're, we're ad-based free service. If you layer in all these additional regulations, you, you render the entire service uneconomic in Canada, which was basically making the same point I was trying to make. And the vice chair of broadcast, so one of the CRTC commissioners said, well, listen, you need to understand in this country, we regulate broadcasters and our role, our goal, we've been charged with meeting the public interest, which in the case of broadcasting is ensure that the beneficiaries are artists and creators. And to her credit, the general counsel representative of To Be Your Tubby uh, says, you know, excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt, but what about the viewers? And the the CRTC vice chair, you know, pauses for a sec and says, well, yeah, there are all kinds of different models from businesses, but could not even come to say that, yes, the, the viewers, the public as a whole is a core part, if not the core part of a of a broadcasting act. And so I fear that the outcome of this is a little bit preordained because the role of, of users here seemingly is uh, is sidelined in favor of any number of groups that are coming before the commission to say, hey, we're in crisis. Um, give us Netflix money. Oh, that's that's unbelievable to me how like the CRTC, which is a, an, an NGO, really. Right. It's just a, a group of appointees uh, from different uh, friends of broadcasters or media type who appoint these people and, and they come from this incredibly competitive environment where it's all about competition and eating your competition's lunch. They're like, yeah, we don't buy competition over here anymore. We're not interested in that. And by the way, uh, the, the people we're here to serve the user, the end user, the viewer, we're not interested in them either. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, 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 that's great. Yeah, that's how Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Isn't that how Steven Spielberg and the, uh... <laughs> 
and all of the other famous. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We don't care if anybody. My watches. favorite. I got to give a plug to my favorite, Martin Scorsese, greatest director of all time. <laughs> but that must be how Spielberg and Scorsese made it. They forgot about the audience. Yeah, yeah, they don't care. Audience. About this stuff. I, uh, that's mind numbing to me. That is that is absolutely <laughs> mind numbing. Um, when you sit there, can I ask you just a quick aside before we get to CAT? When you sit sure. there, knowing you probably are the smartest guy in that room, in do you room? feel like going? Uh, are you insane when they say stuff like that, uh, or are you just like, hey, whatever, man? I mean, yeah, you know, and I know you're demure about your intelligence, but dude, you're 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 the guy when it comes to copyright and internet laws. So like. At any point in time, do you go, hey, uh, just hands up if you guys have half the education I have? No? Yes? <laughs> no, I definitely do, don't do not do that. And I think that there are some good commissioners. I I, I candidly, you know, the, the key for me was standing my ground on this because um, I was asked in a number of different ways, you know, you know, aren't you wrong? Basically, you know, isn't it, you know, isn't it the case? You know, one one of the points that that some someone said was, you know, this feels like a depart. A lot of what you're saying feels like a departure from the way that we've always done it. And I said, you know, listen, you're holding a whole series of hearings that is by design re-examining so many of the assumptions that we've had about what does it mean for Canadian content and how do we regulate this space? You know, we're already at the departure gate. And we're making these changes, but the idea that sort of some of these other elements, this idea of basically one sector needs to cut checks for another sector without any sort of regard for what consumers think or competition, somehow that sacrosanct, even as so many of the other issues are at least in theory up for discussion, although I have to say coming out of it today, I'm somewhat less confident that we will see much of anything in terms of dramatic change because it's pretty clear that those that have been been beneficiaries of the system are pretty determined to ensure that many of those core elements remain in place. Hmm. Professor Geist, are you a are you a law graduate? Just wondering. <laughs> yes, I'm a law graduate. Are you a, you a, you a law graduate? With, okay. uh, I, just, I wanted to. Okay, I wasn't. I wasn't one hundred percent sure. It's only ninety nine point nine percent sure. So I just wanted, yeah, just wanted to nail that down. So you're a law graduate. So if you had to defend. A CRTC commissioner. Let's say the accusation came from, I don't know, uh, Dean Blundell, that these guys don't really know much. They 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 know less than one percent of what Geist knows. Okay, um, and that you had to defend them on the basis of knowledge of of, of various laws that you, that you have studied. Okay, if you had to defend them, would you have much evidence, counselor? <laughs> well. So I, I don't want to get into characterization of the of the. Yeah, but we want you to. I know I can see that, but but I but I because we, I actually we've laid out some banana peels, and if you slip on the occasional what? one, you know we'll 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 be grateful. But yeah. but, but just no, to be serious, just to be serious about yeah. it, this is only to make a larger point. Do you have to have an education in all the things that they have to deal with in order to get appointed to the job that they are doing? Well, listen, so I need an education. In all honesty, you, yeah, you, I think you need some education. You need some industry experience to be sure. I, I actually think that, you know, good decision making out of the CRTC would not come from, I don't know, replicating a whole bunch of Michael Geists and turning it into people who've got law degrees and think about this from a policy perspective. You actually do want people with some industry experience and, and a range of different backgrounds. I think one of the things that has been missing is that there isn't enough of experience, enough experience from those who who might have experienced over the last twenty years the shift to digital, the shift to the internet, and some of the emergence of new creators and new streamers and new opportunities. I, I had today also I had one of the commissioners mentioned the crisis in children's children's programming, and part of my response was, well, you know, I recognize that some may be struggling, but uh, there are others, Skyship Entertainment, for example, in Toronto, which is thriving, and they're doing it in a digital first model on YouTube, on TikTok, on a range of different places. They are one of the most popular uh, channels coming out of Canada, period, and generating real revenue, employing a ton of people. And if your way of thinking around this sector is to only think of some of those legacy players and not realize some of the thriving creativity that does not depend on this regulatory environment, then you're missing an important part of the story. A number of years ago, it was uh, my job to interview a CRTC commissioner. Uh, it was so embarrassing for him. I'm not even going to repeat his name. Okay. He's probably dead, but you know, let his soul lie in peace, whatever the 
appropriate cliche is. Okay, I'll let I'll let I'll let his name go, but I won't let this go. He, of course, being the head of the CRTC, held what I would call a life and death hammer over yours truly and the people in our industry, especially if people like yours truly actually wanted to make a statement that wasn't, uh, you know, blander than Wonder Bread, okay? Uh, if you just bland as Wonder Bread, you got nothing to worry about. But I had a lot of things to worry about. So naturally, I wanted to interview him in a substantive way. I started out the interview, Dr. Geis, by asking the commissioner of the CRTC, do you ever listen to radio? And his response was, no. And it went downhill from there. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I'll bet it did. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that kind of proves the larger point, right? Like, you know, who's running stuff? Like, and who's deciding stuff? Like, who's deciding? And was this part of the CRTC hearing? Who's deciding if podcasts are regulated in Canada? I know there's a big kerfuffle about that. Was that part of the conversation today? Uh, less so today. We So we didn't focus as much. It was a little bit on kind of social media regulation, but... Mm -hmm. They, they and there are a lot of issues, as I say, there are a ton of issues here, part of partially because the government failed to really address a lot of these issues. They punted many of these questions to the CRTC. But uh, the commission, at least for the purposes of this hearing, was really trying to narrow most of the discussion to who is this apply to? What's the appropriate amount to be paid? And, you know, my response was essentially you need to ensure that it is only the true web giants in the parlance that the government often used. You need a high threshold here. You don't want to capture a lot of these niche services. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the payments, my view was, and this was, uh, I was not particularly well supported by the commissioners and they won't follow my advice, but my view was there is no need for some sort of interim payment right off the bat, get all of these issues settled, get the questions of, how it applies, what are the other mechanisms you're looking to the Netflix and Disney's of the world to provide support for, and then you implement something and then it's open to the various entities to make a call about, well, what's the regulatory cost in Canada? How am I going to address it? Am I going to stay? Am I going to go? Am I going to make changes? But this kind of piecemeal approach under the guise of there is a some sort of crisis that requires sort of a quick, almost like down payment on this and we'll figure the rest out later. Uh, I think is a mistake. And as I mentioned to them, if there is a crisis, the crisis is for individual consumers facing inflation, high interest rates and expensive communication services. And this is only going to make matters worse. That's awesome. Dr. That's Dr. awesome. Dr. Yeah. Dr. Guys, you're in Ottawa. You're in Ottawa and you're a trained lawyer. Don't, don't you know that money? Yeah. Money. We need a retainer on the away. rules we're going to make up here. Maybe it's just my opinion. Well, dude, that's Generally. what you're right, Chuck. Like, you know, you, you, that's what he's saying. <laughs> so what you're saying is, Michael Geist, Professor Geist, is the CRTC wants to implement some type of payment scheme before they actually come up with the regulations for payment. Is that correct? That's correct. Oh, that's hot. That's All a good right. move. I, I like that. No, and it's not. There's no. This is, I didn't unearth something secret. They've made it clear that they want, they're described as sort of some interim baseline payment and they will figure out all the rest afterwards because it it's just going to take long. So you know what? get people hey, checks now. You know what? If I'm a furniture guy, that's a sweet way to do it. Listen, just give me 10 grand for this couch. I swear to God, I'll make it for you. I swear to God. Next, next, time, next time they bring it up, Dr. Geist, do me a favor. Dust them. Just dust them. <laughs> okay. So let's get to let's get to the Google tax. That is insanity. What your your morning must have been hilarious. Um, let's get to the Google tax. Uh, the government of Canada announced it had to deal with Google. Google is now going to publish links with news from Canada, which they stopped doing for a long period of time because they're like, we're not going to pay the news services that can't do proper business. That's ridiculous. Anyway, they decided they were. I believe the dollar amounts around a hundred million a year. Google's agreed to pay to the government um, and I'm watching everybody complain about it, that it's not enough money. All that free money isn't enough money. The Toronto star complained about it. A bunch of other news services complained. It's not enough money. Uh, can you explain what happened? Cause I thought we were having this crazy standoff and uh, it's all of a sudden, boom, hundred million, good deal, bad deal. What's the deal? All right. So let's walk through it a little bit and just Please, to thank you. provide one, one clarification. Google did not Google blocked news links for a small subset of their users back in March, but they were okay. not actively blocking news links now. Um, but that was the big fear of many in the news sector that okay. uh, having spent 
uh, the better part of a year claiming that this was all just a big bluff, that these companies would never block news links. They're now about close to six months in of uh, Meta, Facebook, and Instagram blocking news links. And it turns out that uh, this is not exactly a bluff. It's 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 a real risk. And they've been active. And and the that is viewed that was viewed, I think, by many in the news sector as a as a bigger threat. Certainly, a Google, if Google were to do this, is even a bigger threat than Meta. And so ensuring that did not happen became a top priority. So the background on all of this is that the government did, in fact, establish legislation in which they said they were not going to get directly involved in any sort of negotiation. They were going to, they said, set the table for the platforms, Google and Facebook, Google and Meta, to negotiate with news outlets across the country on what they said would be fair compensation based largely on mandated payments for links. Uh, I argue this was a, a significant problem that uh, we should not be required to pay for links. Links are critical to the free flow of information online. Meta and Google both took a similar position saying that they did not think that was, was workable. Meta from the very beginning said, basically, no, we are not paying for links. If anything, we drive free traffic back to the original source. There's a great deal of value there. Um, if forced to make a choice between linking and paying for those links or not linking at all, we'll choose not to link. Government thought it was a bluff. Turns out it's not. Since August, the news links of all from all around the world are blocked on that on those services. In the case of Google, it was always clear that that Google looked at news a little differently, that there was value for Google and news, not so much in the something like the Google News Service, which yeah. I think they probably could take it or leave it, but uh, in the inclusion of news links in search results, right? So if you're running a search on whatever the issue happens to be, uh, if you don't have news links, the those results are not as good as they otherwise would be if, sure. if, if news was there. So Google was always, I think, open to some sort of negotiated settlement, but at the same time, we're deeply concerned about the legislation framed around links. They said created uncapped liability. The prospect of negotiating with hundreds of entities was a problem as well. Uh, and as this progressed with legislation that is scheduled to start on or take effect on December the 19th, so in two weeks, they, they expressed, uh, it became clear and clear that there was a bit of a standoff here. Ultimately, they did settle just last week and Google agreed to pay $100 million. Uh, and they will not block those news links. Now, the government, of course, said, hey, great win, 100 billion bucks. But it turned out that um, many in the news sector are not that happy with the no. deal. And I would say for good reason, because this is this was kind of a save the furniture type of, of event. It was not some great victory. Um, and I say that for, for several reasons. First, the 100 million isn't exactly 100 million of new money. So Google had already in place many deals with many entities. Uh, there's no one knows the precise amount. I've had some people speculate that they think it could have been as high as 40 or 50 million dollars worth of deals with many different players. They've got in the US deals with single entities like the New York Times worth 100 million. So all of Canada for 50 doesn't sound like it's necessarily totally out of place. But regardless, those deals cease to exist. So all that money gets folded into the 100 million. So we're not talking about 100 million in new money. We're also, of course, still dealing with, as part of the same bill, the lost news links and the lost deals from, from Meta. So you have to factor that in as well. Then you have to consider how all of this gets allocated. And in the end, the government basically tossed aside its legislation. They just basically negotiated a deal directly with Google. So much for not negotiating with Google. They negotiated a deal. They said, okay, 100 million. So much for negotiating directly with all these entities. They said, fine, we'll create more of almost like a fund, a collective. You'll cut a single check and we'll let the collective or that fund figure out how it gets allocated. So in the end, the government upends its legislation to do basically exactly what Google always said that they were willing to do about a year ago. And that allocation is likely to go about three quarters to broadcasters and just a quarter to print and digital publishers. So if you are a print and digital publisher who previously had a deal with these companies, and that would include the post medias and tour stars and you global mails money. of the world, you might have lost money. Absolutely. You're now in a world where you're splitting $25 million amongst every print outlet and every digital news outlet that qualifies. There's no way you're made whole and you're and you've lost all this Facebook money. This is not Dr. Geis, could win. you just could we just can we just balance out the conversation? Because you're creating the impression that all uh, people involved in uh, in media, publishing, broadcasting are not happy with the deal. I want to show you. 
I am very happy with the deal. Okay? <laughs> He's got. I got forty-five. I got forty-five dollars that I wasn't expecting. Okay, I'm extremely loaded. Happy. He's gonna buy a lot of plums at Costco with that. Um, just so you know, just so you know, and and, and, and I looked at at Rogers' bottom line. They made like I think eleven billion last year. Uh, Bell made twenty-two and a half billion last year. So if you're talking a hundred million, by the way, let's just deal with the broadcaster. To each of them, that's nothing. Right yeah. to each of them, and then you got to factor CBC in there and all the other broadcasters and stuff like that. It's nothing. It's like this face-saving dollar amount. I was unaware that this deal canceled out all the other ones they had privately with people, though. That is a kick in the stones if you're a print. And I, I just want to stipulate, by the way, that I was just kidding because I realize that there are, are some people who impersonate cattle. And they take everything literally. Oh yeah, yeah. they probably uh, so think you're getting paid just, by the government. I was Trudeau. just kidding. I did not. I did not get forty five dollars or four dollars or four cents. Of you true getting nothing shill. out of this. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not complaining, but I'm getting nothing out. <laughs> yeah, good. Um, but but to your point, the devil's in the details, and it, it, it's like more people lost, and that dollar amount isn't even close to what broadcasters would need if you look at their bottom line last year and the bottom line from those two media companies. Most of that money came from digital, right? It came from from selling cell phones and packages for cell phones and stuff like that. So, you know, in the big scheme of things, it's not even a drop in the bucket. And for some people, it takes away the money they were making on their own and replaces it with less. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying exactly that. And the way you know that this is the case for both broadcasters and for wow. print is that on the broadcast side, the broadcasters are now before the CRTC, as we were just talking about, saying yeah. we need money. And so it's not enough to get this Google money. We want Netflix money and Amazon money. We know that they have nothing to do with news, but we want them to help pay for our news too. And on the print side, the government in the fall economic statement just before this deal announced a huge expansion in something known as the labor journalism tax credit, where they were covering 25% of the labor costs for journalists in what are known as qualified Canadian journalism organizations. And so those would be some of the major traditional print and some online news sources. And they said, we will bump that up in, I should note, they were asked by News Media Canada, the lead lobby, to bump it up. And they got exactly what they asked for down to the penny. They bumped it from 25% of the costs to 35% of the costs. And they increased the cap from what was 55,000 per journalist up to 85,000 per journalist. Take away all those figures. And what they really ended up with was a tax credit that was worth a little under $14,000 per journalist is now worth almost $30,000 per journalist. They more than doubled the amount per journalist. So how did the Dr. government Gage, deal to, with a crappy deal? They yeah. just gave away tax dollars through the tax credit. In, in behalf of the audience, awesome. I'm thinking about the audience. I'm not a CRTC commissioner. I'm thinking about the audience here. In behalf of the audience, may I ask a big picture question? Dean mentioned some of the major telecoms a few moments ago, uh, Bell, Rogers, there are some others, not many. Isn't it true? as Perry Mason would say, isn't it true that none of these big guys who've been making mega bucks over the years, none of them would have made those kinds of enviable profits if there wasn't a government entity, whether it's called the CRTC or all of the other uh, NGOs, the government. But if it wasn't for the government playing the role of interference, isn't it true that none of them would have made the money because if they had to compete with American entities, Verizon and the others, the profits for the Rogerses and the Bells and the others would be significantly lower. Hasn't government always been their best friend? Yes. Yes. No, we, we as, as you know, we live in a country where just competition is not a priority. And uh, erecting walls and safeguards for these entities is is very often seen as a priority. And so what you end up with is you're absolutely right. You know, whether that's, you know, the benefits on the broadcast side. So, for example, the reason we have a TSN rather than an ESPN uh, or we've had different movie networks rather than HBO, of course, is because we had uh, protections, walled guard walled garden type situation where we said no to the foreign entrant and allowed the Canadian player to create their own Canadian, their own Canadian version of the same kind of service. The reason that we've seen so much profitability, I'd argue, on the wireless communication side is because for a very long time we didn't allow foreign entrance. Uh, you know, the supporters of the companies would say, "Well, we do now," but of course, 
the, the costs of entering into this marketplace are so high at this stage that it's very difficult to effectively compete and enter on a greenfield basis. And if you say, okay, fine, I'm willing to buy one of the big companies if you're a forward entrant, you can't buy it buy it completely because the broadcasters are still subject to Canadian ownership requirements. So if you've got a Bell that's got all these broadcast assets, you can't buy Bell. But or Dr. Minimum, Geis, just to you've got to just, spin all that off. Once again, just to focus here on the audience, okay, the Canadian consumer, isn't it true, once again, to use a, a Perry Masonism, isn't it true that the reason that Canadians pay a ridiculous amount of money for internet services, cable services, cell phone services, all of it, is because government has been a friend to the telecommunications industry and prevented Canadians from getting a much better break on the bills that we pay every month. We talk about an affordability crisis. For many people, there's an affordability crisis in what they're paying for information, knowledge, entertainment. Isn't it true that the government, and it's got nothing to do with the Liberals, whether it was Trudeau, Harper, all of them have prevented competition from affecting profits and competition from giving us the consumers a better break. Is that is that not true? Yeah, no. It's You got a good way of uh, putting it down to brass tacks. And yes, at the end of the day, we had a government that did not prioritize competition. And so, yeah, so, and it's consumers that ultimately pay the price. That depends on who you are, right? That's, that's how competitive they are. Like, you know, if it's, if it's Dean Blundell cell phone service, Dean and Chuck's mobile company, and we decide that, and with Michael Geist, by the way, you're in our, you're in our group, you're in the ownership group of our mobile phone company, just so you know. And we, we tell the government, Hey, we're a new company. We, we want to be competitive. These are our rates. We get shut out, right? Well, that, that's not happening. And, you know, or if it is, you get bought out real quick by the Bells or the Rogers of the world, right? You saw it with Virgin. You saw it with a bunch of different carriers that came to town. And the whole idea is, you know what? And it's funny because both of those companies are so incredibly competitive in every other uh, avenue and every other area. But when it comes to making sure those rates stay high, it's like the bread price fixing stuff. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's just keep giving the government the money. Let's just keep being friends with the right people. And let's make sure that nobody gets nothing that we're the only people that can take advantage of this. And those are the same people that's just unbelievable that are at the trough. They're the same people that are standing there with their cap in hand going, we don't have any money for radio. It's gone. <laughs> and you're like, wait a second, tiny Tim, relax. You've got about 10 and a half billion in the hip city bank from that other company that you're using. And you're like, Oh, more money, please. sir. More money. Which completely, you know, to me is like completely void of understanding because like, if I have to in my home, if I need to take money from one account, which has happened lots, take yes. money from one account and move it over to the other account or something from my retirement, move it over this. Eh, we do it right. But for some reason, companies in this country, specifically those companies, Michael, they do not. I, yeah, absolutely. And listen, they they have a myriad of different arguments for a while. They tried to argue that you know the sky isn't blue, that. We are competitive or the prices aren't high. Um, at times, they, they'll argue that, listen, lots of Canadians have Bell in their pension funds. And so if you are going to harm these blue chip companies, you're ultimately harming Canadians. So, Fear part. Uh, Love it. you know, there, there, there are any number of different arguments at the end of the day. Um, and it's true. It cuts across all political parties. And yeah. this is something we've built over a very long period of time. And we are learning that it is almost impossible to to fix professor geist i know you got to run really appreciate you doing this you were at the crtc hearings this morning with us this afternoon thank you for talking about it and being open to talking about it thank you for breaking these things down in ways that we all need to understand uh congratulations again on actually being invited i mean you know according according to the way things work it's just incredible they keep asking you to come back to tell them they're wrong awesome stuff thanks dr Steve. geist the hey, fin the fin is in the mail okay yeah yeah, uh, you yeah. Said, yeah. we'll talk to you i think we're taking thanks. advantage of you all right brother there you go, Dr. Michael Geist, Professor Geist uh, from uh, University of Ottawa. Law Bites, his name is podcast. He's a good dude. Can you believe that shit, dude? Can dude, you believe it? You know, people people wonder why I laugh at Polyev and the Conservative Party about all this affordability crap. I yeah. mean, if they wanted to prove to me, okay, someone who, who actually knows them very well and, and knows the system that you and I have been working in o over the years, if they actually wanted to be even a little bit, just a, thim a thimble full of credibility, all they would have to do, all Polyev would have to do is say, when I become prime minister, I'm going to open up competition to guarantee that people will pay far less for cable, far less for internet, and far less for cell phones. I'm simply going to allow 
the Americans to compete in this environment with the Canadians and the Canadian consumer will win. If he were to say that, I'd say, oh my God, he really is interested in doing something about affordability. But in the meantime, I see these polls saying that people believe that, oh, life will become much more affordable even when Paulia becomes prime minister. And of course I laugh because he's not doing any of that kind of stuff. Well, that was a video you put out this week. You had a viral video you went out of you like literally laughing. It's got like yeah. half a million views. Yeah. It, it I found incredible. the poll. I found the poll hilarious. I mean, people actually, I, I guess, think well, that money the poll? Be, the poll was money. the poll was that that people think that that Pierre Polyevis is going to make life more affordable for them. That was the poll. It's between twenty and twenty five percent of of Trudeau on the on the simple question of who is going to do better on making Canadian life more affordable. So he's. Yeah you know, a quarter of a football field ahead of Trudeau. And this isn't about carrying water for Trudeau. It's it, it's simply that I know this guy. I, I know the party. I know the party very well. And I know they, they have no plans to substantively affect the kinds of things they could affect that would give us more affordability, examples, cable, internet phones. There are a number of others. But those are, those are you know, I, I'm always thinking about the audience because, you know, I, I look up to... Martin Scorsese, I look up to Steven Spielberg, I looked up to Alfred Hitchcock, uh, I looked up to Rod Serling, I looked up to the people uh, who I saw intellectually as, as, as my mentors, you know, Walt Disney. These people thought about the audience all the time. So if these political types were actually thinking about Canadian citizens and Canadian consumers, they would move ahead in those areas. They don't, and they won't. Well, it's lying by omission too, right? Like, and we talk about lying. We talk about the truth. You, you fancy yourself as the truth teller. I call you the truth Wolverine. I love it because you, you look kind of like a Wolverine. You got the hair and stuff like that. But, but the truth is incredible to you, and, and it's incredible to me. And it's all too uncommon. And we see the disingenuous lying, which has been incredible to watch in my life. Right in my life, the truth used to be a baseline. It was fact. It was like, hey, listen, uh, I'm gonna tell you the story. It is true. You can literally fact check someone while they're telling it on the Internet, while they're actually telling you a lie, which we did with Pierre Polyev a couple weeks ago. Remember when he was like, that was a terrorist attack. Justin Trudeau's fault. <laughs> yeah, what are we going to sure, do? Sure and like, it was literally yeah. outed as a compulsive liar after that. <laughs> For some reason, we just forgot about the first year where he compulsively lied about gatekeepers and affordability and all the other shit that we just talked about. But we live in this post-truth post world, Chuck, where lying by omission is one of those things. It's still a lie but where people can literally stand in the stand at the stump in front of a camera and lie willingly knowing it's a lie, right? Like you remember back when we used to do, do politics or like, you know, back when, when we, the baseline of truth, if a politician got caught, you'd be like, yeah, I got caught right now. Not only do they not say I got caught or apologize, they just pretend it never happened. Like yeah. the whole thing with the terror attack, Polyev just pretends that he didn't get caught telling the biggest lie screaming fire in a movie theater in a dark movie theater when there wasn't one and we're sitting here going oh that's okay and his poll numbers are still huge so can you explain well, not only that he attacked he attacked he attacked ctv and he attacked canadian press lied because he wasn't going to say he wasn't going to say look i get my information from my staffer and my staffer's yeah. on her phone surfing the american right-wing net yeah. So she's into the U.S. ecosystem, the right, right wing and Fox and all of the other right wingers were all hoping and praying that this was a terrorist attack. And that's all they were talking about. So he yeah. can't say, I apologize for the fact that my so-called research is nothing but my communications assistant on the phone Fox. with Steve Bannon and Fox. I mean, he can't he can't say that because he'd have no credibility. But the, 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 the reason I laugh about all this stuff that he talks about is because I know that that's what it is. It's Why? it's an amateur act. And if anyone wants to ask, you know, Charles Truth Teller Adler, the, the what, what Dean calls the the, the truth uh, Wolverine, truth Wolverine, truth Wolverine. If you want to ask me, you know, why is the truth so important? Well, the truth is the only thing that's important. As I've said before, I may not be a Christian, but nobody is going to stop me from loving the works of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus taught and other people who followed in his path taught that the truth would set us free. So when we're not telling the truth, more important, when we're not holding others, especially leaders, feet to the fire, 
and we're not demanding the truth, we are not free. Mm. You know, the convoy and others love to mess around with the word freedom, which to them is simply a license to do what they want. I understand that. Uh, Anti-vax, blah, 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 blah. But I always like to draw the big picture because the small picture bores the hell out of me, bores the bejesus out of me. So I'm not here to bore you. I'm here to tell you that thousands of years ago, a person who many think of as their personal savior, a person who many think of as the Messiah, and over the years, not some, but billions have thought of him as the Messiah, he figured out, okay? He was inspired to tell you that the truth would set you free. And if you don't fight for the truth, you will always be a slave. Well, yeah, but now people call a lie an alternative truth, Chuck. Right, right? but that's just... But what, 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 when a person says that this isn't really untrue, it's just an alternative truth, Yeah. what are they saying? It's like saying, this isn't really They're a idiots. drug that, that, yeah. that Big Pharma has put billions in. This isn't going to save your grandmother from dying of cancer. Uh, this alternate thing, this water pill, is going to make her believe that she won't die of cancer. Well, she will. She will die because this water pill is just a water pill. But at least she'll feel good. Well, I'm not interested in feel good. Alternate truth, feel good, doesn't make me feel good. It has to be good for me to feel good. Because we live in a world where self-esteem is peddled by people who don't even understand what that means. Mm. You don't gain self-esteem by looking in the camera or looking in the mirror and saying, you're beautiful, you're sexy, you're handsome, you're smart. That's, that's not how you build self-esteem. You build self-esteem by actually putting points on the board, by achieving things, by being competent. Self-esteem's foundation is competence. So what does that mean? You've actually got to accomplish things and then believe mm. that you can accomplish things. You'll never believe it sincerely and authentically unless you actually do put points on the board and accomplish some things. And you can't accomplish anything based on lies. You have to accomplish real things. So what's alternate reality? Alternate reality means it ain't real. And if it ain't real, baby, get lost. Yeah, uh, well said. Charles Adler, the truth-telling Wolverine, ladies and gentlemen, the Charles Adler podcast. You can get anywhere you get your fine podcast, Google, Apple, Spotify, etc. Uh, we live in a post-truth society is what we do. It is not an alternative opinion. There is a baseline of fact. And if you're one of those people that's out there spouting off for your political uh, friends or political family or some guy who you have a flag uh, for or some guy who you plan on voting for and you know he's lying. By the way, that makes you a liar too. Uh, and living on the, the auspices of someone else's lie just means you're like way worse than them and that's bad in itself. So just wanted to remind you that, uh, hey, listen, it doesn't matter how many times you try to tell me what I'm what I think is the truth isn't. I have a baseline of truth, and I'm happy to be wrong, as is this man, Charles Adler. And if we're wrong, then tell us. We'll listen, but we're never going to beat a bush with a lie. I am never going to sit here and tell everybody that something I said is the truth because I like it better than what you're saying, because that's the world we live in. We live in a world where people can actually do that today, where people can say, hey, listen, I've got this truth. My truth's better than your truth because it makes me feel comfortable like a thunder blanket. Well, you're not a dog, right? You're a human being that has to actually tell the truth. And when you live on a lie, you live on a mountain of bullshit. And that is what we see every day. So, uh, Charles, great to see you as always. Thanks so much for being here. Make sure you give Charles a follow at Charles Adler on Twitter. You can go to charlesadler.com if you want to get a hold of him. But download his podcast. Subscribe to his podcast. Uh, he is my mentor. He is a legend. Uh, he deserves to have some kind of star on some kind of walk of fame. Or maybe your bust on Legends Row at Maple Leaf uh, Garden, Maple Leaf Square. That's where I think we should put you next. Seriously. Listen to me, folks. I'll make your life more affordable. <laughs> That's a lie. You won't do any of those things. I loved how you laughed at it all week. I loved it. It was great. Uh, go and give him a follow. Thanks, Chuck. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. You bet. Charles Adler, ladies and gentlemen. Man, I love that guy. Like, love that man. Hey, yeah, put some Charles Adler in your life. Seriously, there's a dude who just won't stop because it's the truth. I kind of like I said to him the other day on a text. I'm like, you're like an animal. You just won't stop telling the truth. You just won't stop with the content, reminding everybody that guy's lying. This guy's telling the truth. Don't believe that guy. Believe this guy. He's the social conscience of media in this country. And I'm happy to call him my friend.
Charles Adler, ladies and gentlemen. Michael Geis, thanks very much for being here as well. Uh, thank you, everybody who tuned in. Really appreciate it. You can get our podcast anywhere you get your fine podcast. Google, Apple, Spotify. Go and rate, subscribe on Google. Cryer Media on Google or Dean Blundell Show on Google as well. Thanks to our partners at Cantor for making this possible. Canada's Assembly Tool Experts. They make rugged, hardworking, beautiful torque wrenches. Canada's leading industrial tool experts out of Edmonton, Alberta. They brought all their manufacturing back from overseas. Uh, a number of years ago because they're really proud of making what they make in Canada for the rest of the world. And if you're in the nuclear industry, railroad industry, steel industry, doesn't matter. Heavy machinery. If you're looking for a bolting solution for a bolting project, they have it. Uh, go to Cantorque.com, brand new website. You can check out all their specs right now and some of their work. You can actually get in contact with them there as well. Always brought to you by our friends at Muse Massage Spa. It is uh, Babelicious Bingo from now until the end of December. Get your bingo card, daily draw, collect to win. You get 30 minutes door free. You get two lines, 45 minutes door free. You get it all. I mean, just go and redeem your prizes and make sure you download their podcast, Muse on the Mic, Emily. And uh, by the way, Emily's going to be on the show tomorrow. Emily and Riley do a great job taking you inside the body rub business, inside the world's oldest profession. They're advocates. Uh, in their latest podcast, they talk about what they like about men the most, which I'm like, hey, that's a short list. What was it, a four-minute podcast? <laughs> We're terrible people. Anyway, uh, Muse on the mic. Go and download the podcast. Support them on Patreon as well, where they give the real juice in their podcast. The uh, safe-for-work version is at Cryer Media and anywhere you get your fine podcasts as well. And as always, brought to you by Gitch, the world's greatest luxury underwear, boxer briefs, pouch in the front. I'm wearing a black pair today. Feel like a million bucks. Uh, make sure you give them a little dingy ding. Go to edsfineimports.com. Use promo code GITCH3, and you can get yourself a pair of these underwear for free for free. They'll send them to you when you buy three or more. You you can't miss with these things. I'm telling you right now, they're the best fitting underwear on the planet, and I have old man ass. But they do fill up people's asses with real asses, not just my ass. However, I do a pretty good job in the front, as do most Canadian men made for Canadians by Canadians. Go to edsfineimports.com. Uh, Gitch3 is your promo code. Order a pair of Gitch today for yourself. Have a great day, everybody. Appreciate you being here. We'll be back tomorrow with Locke, Emily from Muse on the Mic. We'll see you then. Be nice. and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. Had all, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.